seven weeks into our series. Really good to be here again. I have to say, I'm kind of liking this uh, being in front of the camera thing. Do you like this hat? I got this in San Francisco. I think it really does look particularly attractive. And this is kind of a fun thing because we've been trekking all around the city and, and the camera crew has been with us. And it's just good to enjoy this kind you know, of I, deal. Um, could, you, could you excuse me just a second? Because how's the folks? This, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm well, thank you. But I'm, I'm a little perturbed because this is really... It's been quite a bit about you. You got the hat, you got the accent, you got the slim body as opposed to the wide body. You got the shades, and yours are little. But I, you know, I think if I were just to have a chance here to say how I appreciate being in front of the camera, and I just want people to know yeah, that, I know, that but it's not just about you. Know, this I, know, is not funny. This I know, is I know, I'm the Wednesday night teacher, but I'm no, sick and tired of no, you guys always being on the camera just because you have a. British accent. You well, get to be in front of the camera. We need, you know, we need maturity. When it comes we need to maturity. language, we started this whole thing. I mean, because you they, have this... He doesn't even say the words right. Let's you know, just be honest. Right. I've had a speech right. impediment, and that's not nice. That's, How, that's do you not understand good. half of what he says? Let's be honest. Okay, right. I think we probably better stop filming now so that we can become Christians again. I don't think this is proper. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? <laughs> Oh, those guys are crazy. You know, sometimes we, today we're actually talking about that spirit in us that wants to be the leader, that spirit that wants to be on camera, that spirit that wants the glory and the credit for all of that. And uh, it's so funny to watch those guys go through all that process. We know them better than that. That's what makes it so funny is they're so opposite of that. But it really is a challenge. It really is a challenge for the human nature to die and to let the God nature live. So that we can say, Lord, you be first in everything we do. How can we do that? What do we need to do in our lives to prepare ourselves for that? Because that becomes very important. We're in the series, uh, King of the Hill, Sermon on the Mount. Today, I've called it Live to Give. And I'm not just talking about money today. Money's part of it. But I'm talking about how we live. Are we givers or are we takers? Emotionally in our relationships, in our time, in the energy that we have, in our, the talents that we have, in our intellect. Are we willing to be givers? Will we give that stuff away to say, because of the kingdom of God in me, I want to live as a giver, and I don't need the credit for it, and I don't need any glory for what I'm doing. That is exactly why you get involved in ministry. I, I'm so grateful for... For you and, and being a part of Timberline, because one of the things I see all the time is all the people behind the scenes who do ministry because of the God call in your life and the passion you have. Now we're kind of we're kind of in a month right now of all this outreach that you just heard about with orphans and foster care, and and our missions uh, banquet is next week, and and our missions pastor will be introduced, and he's speaking at the banquet, and I really hope you'll come to the banquet. There are two nights, same banquet. At just two options, Sunday night or Monday night next week. And uh, their tickets are $2, uh, but we're going to feed you a meal that's worth about 15 or 20 I guarantee you four stations of food. It's going to be a great night where we pray for the world and look at stuff. So go by and pick up a ticket if you would. But see, why do we as a church send money? Why do we give? Why do so many of you get involved in, in adopting a child? or being involved in foster care, it's not so your name can be in lights. Most people don't even know what you do. Can I just propose that most real ministry happens and people don't even know it happened? They only feel the result of it. 
They see it because it has impacted their lives. There's a, a, a wonderful lady that you've heard us talk about here at Timberline before. Her name is Ambika. Ambika works right down in the red light district of Kolkata. We, we used to call it Calcutta. They've changed it to Kolkata, India. She works with Project Rescue as the director there with those prostitutes and those girls and those slaves who are involved in human trafficking and in the brothels there. When Bonnie and I went to India, we met Ambika. We went to those places and we saw firsthand what she's dealing with. And I'm telling you, she's one of the hero kind of people who doesn't do this to get glory, who doesn't do this to put her name up. She's modeling Matthew 6. She is doing it because she loves God and she loves these precious little girls. And guess what? We get to say hi to her because she's here this weekend. Ambika, would you stand and let us at least welcome her to America? We're so delighted to have you. I'll tell you something, she's witnessed things that you and I cannot even comprehend. Stories, some of the stories she has, she probably would know better to even, to not tell us because it would wipe us out maybe for the rest of our lives. But she carries that mantle. She's doing this as unto the Lord. Why do I do ministry? Why do you do ministry? Why are we trying to live for God anyway? Let's look at what Jesus said and let's think about it. Because of people like Ambika, you have been able to, to support uh, missions in India. Um, we have given $12,000 that we gave a check to her yesterday um, from home tour. So see, home tour is more than just pretty houses for Christmas. So go and uh, make a difference. Over the last couple of years, you guys have given over $280,000 to this ministry in India to build homes of hope and uh, and vocational centers. Why? Because you care. Many of you will never see these girls who are going to live there you will never even go there. But you wrote a check. You said, I will be a giver, not a taker. I will be a part of something bigger than my realm, bigger than my world, bigger than my nation. And you're doing it. Jesus admires that. In your, in your outline, there's a, 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 some several blanks that I want you to fill in today. Follow along. The first thing in your notes says this. Number one, Jesus warns us about our need, our need for recognition. He's, he's about to say some pretty powerful things about our need to be recognized for the things we do. There are three or four categories that I want to highlight. Now, I want you to just catch the theme, and I'm going to skip around to several verses in Matthew 6. You can follow it on the screen, or you can leave your Bible open. And the first one he talks about is good deeds. Matthew 6, 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. To be admired by others... For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the, notice this word, hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Go, jump down to verse 5. It talks about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the who? Hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're going to get. Talks about fasting. Jump down to verse 16. When you fast, don't make it so obvious as the hypocrites, there's that word again, hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable 
and disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. When you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. Really important concept there. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. I want to make it clear that the practices of doing good deeds, of praying, of fasting, and of giving are wonderful practices that we need to have in our lives. Jesus isn't coming against those practices. Jesus is coming against the motive that would cause these religious leaders to do these things only in a fashion that would cause them to be seen and admired. And He's going after that. And there's a little bit of this in all of us. So open your heart to it. The second thing that it's very important for us to get, especially if you're raising kids, is your kids do need recognition. We all do. Say good job when they bring that painting home. Uh, pat them on the head, love them, hug them, give them lots of... Uh, the self-esteem is a wonderful thing. Jesus, when at His baptism, you hear the voice of the Father coming out saying, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is not coming against recognition in, in that sense. He's coming against the hypocrisy of people who want to live in an image realm, but it's not truly who they are. When He uses the word hypocrites... It's an interesting word because it actually comes out of like the theater. We call them actors because they are acting. In Jesus' day, this word hypocrite comes out of a word that was called pretender. And they would refer to actors or hypocrites as pretenders. People who acted to be something that they were not. One who acts the part. And, and those pretenders, Jesus comes at it and He says, Hey, don't be like the pretenders, the actors. Don't be like those people who just have this image of doing these things, but really do it as unto the Lord. I think it's important for us to get this right because Jesus is trying to show that His kids, the Kingdom of God people, don't need that credit. We don't do it for that reason. A few months ago I talked to you about core versus image. And we talked about this for quite a while because the idea is that the core of you is what God sees in private. It's, it's the naked you. It's the real you. It's, it's everything good, bad, and ugly. Alright? And so God knows that. You know that. But we're in a culture who requires and almost demands of us to work on our image. You can buy books, listen to tapes, go to seminars, all on how to improve your image. And if you improve your image, you're going to sell more, make more, live better, on and on and on. And Jesus comes along and says, no, don't work on your image. Work on your core. Work on who you really are. Because if your image can come out of the true core, and it can be Christ-like and godly, that's what the Father sees, and that's all you really need. So if we keep that in mind, these next two points, we'll see them clearly. Number two in your outline is this. Jesus instructs us about our prayer life. He talks to us about a couple of things, about how we pray and why we're praying. So I want to I live this out with you. Verse 6. Jesus says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. 
then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, these people in Jesus' day worked on their prayers. They memorized them. They had to have the perfect noun, the perfect adjective, the perfect verbs. They would put it together so that when they prayed aloud in public, people would go, Whoa, that guy can pray. Because they worked at it. They wanted to pray impressive prayers with big words and, and people would be in awe. And so they went out into public and they prayed. And prayer is supposed to be intimacy with God. Obviously, Jesus is not saying never pray in public. Jesus prayed in public multiple times. But it's the idea that your personal life with God is between you and Him. Do you get that? You can't let... It's not about everyone being involved in that private intimacy moment. I'm wary of people who say to me, well, you know, I pray from 5 to 6 a.m. every morning. I've been doing it for 20 years. And I want to say, well, why are you doing that? It sounds like you're doing that so you can tell me that. Or are you really having communion with God? Is that the point? It'd be like, okay, let me just, let me illustrate it like this. Let's just, my, my wife Bonnie's been here all weekend with uh, hosting Ambika. So I need to, I've been, I've thought a lot about this. I need to have a real intimate conversation with Bonnie. There's some things we need to work out in our marriage and our relationship. And so I'm going to ask her to come now and we're going to just do that because I think, so Bonnie, come on up here. And how many, how many of you know that Bonnie would not come up here anyway? Yeah, so she would. So I'm out of luck there. So could you just pretend that she's sitting here, okay? And and I'm just gonna kind of. This is very intimate, honey. And and I just I love you so much, baby. I just believe in you, and I just want you to know that we're gonna we're gonna make it through this time. You know, some of the things that we talked about last week. Um, I need to tell you, what's wrong with this picture? You're here. That's the problem. Yeah. You're here. You shouldn't be hearing this conversation. This conversation is not for you. It's for us. And that's what Jesus is saying is when your conversation is for God, why are you saying it out loud trying to impress people with the intimacy you have with God? Stop it. It doesn't matter what they think. God doesn't even hear that prayer. God's saying, you don't care about me. You care about what people think about you and me. Do you get the difference? And so suddenly I go to my prayer closet and I have intimacy with God and I climb up on his lap and there's emotion and I, there's passion and, and I can talk to him about the deep things in my life. And you're not there, but God is there and he is with me and I am with him. And that's how God designed it. Another thing that he says in verse seven, he says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Notice this line. Your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. That's powerful. Now, I know Jesus is not saying here, never ask me for anything, because I know Paul writes to the church in Philippi and says, make your requests known to God. But this is saying He already knows our request, so our prayer probably becomes more of an issue of acknowledging that He knows what I need. I don't have to repeat it over and over and over. In Jesus' day, people did these what they called repetition prayers. 
And they were memorized and they would say them over and over and over as a sacrifice of discipline in order to have God hear them and respond to them. So, you go do a hundred I love yous. I love you, 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 I love you. And then you can know that you're going to be loved because you said you love God all these times. And then you move to the next stage. Okay, let's do a hundred I'm sorry's. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many of you need two hundred I'm sorry's? Yeah, okay. And then it's, I'll do better, 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 I'll do better. And what's happening here is the person, is, this is meaningless to God. It's just a habit. It's just something you're doing and God isn't interested in that. That's one of the things that worries me about the Lord's Prayer sometimes. And I love the Lord's Prayer. I love to say it. I love to sing it. How many of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer? That's a good thing. But how many of you also know it wasn't a prayer Jesus prayed. It's in this chapter that He says, pray like this. I mean, He knew because He's omniscient. He knows all things. But I don't think His idea was for all of us to just memorize His words and every now and then just say it all together. He's saying, do you understand the heart of this prayer? That you pray to your Father, that you talk about daily needs, that He knows, that it's enough, that you rest in Him. So there's concepts He's giving us. It's not about just saying the Lord's Prayer and then everything will work out. Because the Lord's Prayer is about those other deeper things. So we involve our attitude, our spirit, as we walk through these prayers. So He talks to us about our our prayer life. These are important things. Now, the third thing in your outline, I want to just take a few moments and talk about, and it is money. It's teaching about some financial traps that we get involved in in our lives. And I want you to embrace these. And I want you to, Jesus was not afraid to talk about money. There are three traps I'm going to mention today. I know there are more than these, but let me mention three. Write this down, okay? Number one, your outline, the trap of hoarding versus investing. Hoarding money versus investing your money. Verse 19, don't store up treasures here on the earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, it's kind of a famous verse, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Luther says of that particular verse, what a man loves, that is his God. That is his God. So it's an interesting thought when you think about that. See, Jesus is referring to the money that he's aware of in his culture. The coins that they used, many would hoard those coins. They would collect them and they would put them in boxes and in damp places they would become rusty. In some cases they would stick together. In other cases they would lose their image and they would become valueless. And Jesus is saying, look, if rust in, and they get all corroded, they're not worth anything anyway. So why are you hoarding these things? They weren't made to be hoarded like that. Uh, any of the bills that they use, um, the moss would eat them and nip away at them. And before you know it, there's nothing left. And so he's trying to make a point about being a good steward and not just letting these things get rusty. Another principle that would happen in Jesus' day often is people would find out who hoards money. Have you ever heard of people who keep money in their mattress? You know, it's that kind of thing. And then people hear about it. Oh, they keep a lot of cash at their house. So the robbers would come. And they would find out who keeps 
a stash at their house and they would get robbed and it would all be gone. Jesus is saying, what good is that? If the moths eat it, if it's rusting out, if it gets stolen, don't hoard money. Because it's, money is intended to be used for eternal value. Now, I brought something with me today. How many of you know what that is? <laughs> I've been walking around with this all weekend. Uh, and I've had people, when I ask them, they say, that looks like pot. And then I say, how do you know what a bag of pot looks like? <laughs> um, it's it's kind of, this is money. Some of you in the, in, the, in the banking world know how this works, but I'll explain it. Um, when they take, when banks get bills that are so old, have you ever had a, a waiter or a waitress or someone hand you back change and like it's a dollar bill that's like so bad it's hangling by a thread, you know, and you're just kind of like... Can you give me a different one? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Money that's just all used. They, they put all that together and they send it off and they have a whole process with that money that they go through and then they shred it. They shred it in, and, and I have a bag of that shredded money right now. This has no value. None. At one time it did, but now it's shredded and it has no value whatsoever. I also learned when I was researching this that they have the biggest bill that's ever been printed in our nation is one bill, $100,000 bill. And, and I thought, maybe this is it. I'm going to put this together this afternoon. I'm, well, anybody want to come and help me? I'll give you half. We'll lay this out. See, Jesus is saying, if you, if you think that, that money has value when it's like this, it doesn't. So what's the point? How can we make sure that money has something of eternal value? Well, people like Ambika are worth investing in. That's why we go to China. That's why people travel. That's why we take missionary offerings. That money that is invested for eternal, that money that goes to those places can never ever turn into this. Because it has a face to it. It has a name to it. It's a person. It's about the kingdom of God. And Jesus knows this. And He's saying, don't live in the fear and start hoarding money, but invest it in the kingdom of God to make a difference forever. Jesus is right. Number two, the second trap. It's the trap of pursuing the wrong things. The trap of pursuing the wrong things. And we get caught up in this. I've really thought a lot about this um, these past days. And I've prayed about this saying, God, show me... How best to, to take this to the people? Because, because look at what he says in verse 22. He uses this idea of the eye and the light. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad or pursuing bad things, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. In other words, what is your vision for? What are your dreams? What are you pursuing today? If I said, if you could wave a magic wand, what, your, what does your dream look like? Is that a godly dream? Is that a vision worth pursuing? Does that bring a smile to the heart of God? Because your eye is looking at that every day. You're consumed by it. You're going after it. Have you ever been shopping for something and you were so determined to, to find it? You just went to every store and you kept going and you kept going because you, you're... That's what this is. And those who pursue the light of God will find it. And it will be meaningful. But those who are pursuing that vision that does not please God, it's kind of like you become what you look at and what you look for. 
Now, I, I, I don't know. I know we have quite a few cyclists here in our church. and I like bicycles and I like motorcycles, as some of you know. I, I really like, I tell people, I like bicycles. I just like them to have a big motor in between the tires. One of the things you learn, especially if you ever race in dirt, dirt track motocross, you learn quickly that if you see an object like a rock or a ditch, um, if you look at that object while you're going, you will drift toward that object. You will actually go into the ditch that you're looking at trying to avoid. It's an interesting thing. You cyclists know this too. So there's a discipline that when you see a rock or stump or something that you don't want to hit, you don't look at it. You know it. You see it peripherally. But you look at the path that you want to choose. And if you're looking at the path you want to choose, you are more likely to go on that path. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you live your life, make certain that your eye is cast upon things that bring light and glory, the glory of God to the world. Because if you're looking at the stuff of darkness, you're going to end up there, and boy, how dark that's going to be for you. And you're not going to end up where you want to be. So don't deceive yourself. Number three, third trap is the trap of a divided heart. The trap of a divided heart. Jesus wraps up this statement, and it's kind of an umbrella thing that he puts over this whole concept. And it's powerful, and it's blunt. Are you ready? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, some of you have a translation of the Bible that uses the word mammon right there. The, the, it's, it's proper to translate it money because in this case Jesus is talking about money in this case but the word mammon itself is a kind of a foreign word and it got the attention of the listener because here's what it means it means whatever one trusts in to save them whatever you trust in that you believe will save you so if Jesus had been talking about relationships this probably wouldn't say money here it would say, if you think it's her you need, gentlemen, and that's your Savior, you've made a big mistake. Because she's not the Savior. Ladies, He's not the Savior. It's, it's some of you are thinking, if I just had that job, that, that's what I would put my trust in. That's all I need. No, it isn't. You serve God. You put Him first. He brings all these other things into your life. But mammon is that anything else that you think you need to trust in more than God, whatever it is, you fill in the blank today. What is it that you say, if I just had that, if I could just do, if I just, man, if I had that, no. It's God you trust in. It's God who calls you. When we live to give, we step out beyond ourselves. And our name doesn't have to be in lights, and our photo doesn't have to be out there. It's about us saying, God, how may I pray and serve and give and be a part? I live with my hands open. Remember last week? Our palms are up and we say, God, it's yours. Everything we have belongs to you. And it's not easy. I want to just end by saying this. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's a huge challenge. Last night, last night it was so cute because there's a little guy who's the youngest. Tom, Tom, uh, who's with us in our spotlight today. They have seven children, uh, five natural and two adopted. And and their youngest is a little boy who's three years old, and his name is Hudson. And last night, Saturday night at church, I was sitting right over here in these chairs with Hudson. 
and he was a little bit, he was kind of crawling around on the chairs, and, and Dad was getting ready to go up, and he said, Hudson, just sit real still, I'll be right back, and then we're going to go out to the back, and, and I'm listening, and I said, Hudson, you hang out with me, we'll be fine here, so we became buddies, and he told me all about his hotel, and his hot tub, and all the cool stuff, and, and so his dad's up here talking, right in the middle of his dad talking, he's just sitting there, and he kind of crawls over to me, and he taps me, and he said, hey, does your phone have any games on it? He's three. I just started laughing. I said, Hudson, yeah, actually, my, my phone does have a few games on it. And he said, could I try them? I said, well, actually, I don't carry my phone when I come in here, so I don't, I don't have it with me. But if I had it, you could, you could try them. And he said, okay. And it made me think a little bit. Last night, I just, I just had this thought that sometimes, you know, Hudson didn't care about the use of a phone. He wasn't interested in why cell phone technology came along. He wasn't interested in making a call. There was something else in there he wanted. That's how we are with God sometimes. God has given us this mission to reach the world. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. And sometimes we step back and say, God, do you have any games in there? Because it's really hard to do all the other stuff. But we're the people of the kingdom. And we live at levels where we say, God, because of you, it's all yours. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment with my friends. Thanks for today that we can be really honest and raw about our lives, the challenges we face. Thank you for talking to us. Forgive us. Convict us. Help us to respond in honesty today. Show us how not to hoard stuff. Show us how not to live in fear. I thank you, Lord. I just want you with your heads bowed to just think about your image and core. Think about what God might say to you about the truth about you and seeing you in private, knowing you fully. Could you just offer yourself to him now fully and say, God, I don't, I'm not going to work on my image. I want you to work with me on my core because I want to be a reflection of what you're talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Secondly, I just wonder if there would be people here today that would join me in saying, I want to invest in the right things. You know, this economic stuff, it's created people just to be scared and worried and fearful and holding on. And, and it's caused people to not be generous. And, and I, just, I just want to come against that now. We are the people who are generous. We are the people who care. We're the people who give when no one else does. And, and I thank you for that, but I, I'm challenged by it. So Lord, today help us to know how to be your kids and to live it out to live it out in the giving of our lives, our talents, our minds, our relationships, and all that we are to make a difference in the kingdom. And Lord, if there's one person in these auditoriums that don't know you personally, I just ask right now that they would say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I come to you in faith. I'm sorry. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. For your purposes we live. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.